This call is now being recorded. Hi, this is Ellie Sheva Herrera with Happy People, Happy Planet, and I'm with my good friend Casey Brown of Casey Coaching. Top of the world. How you doing? Hey, Ellie. Nice to be on the line with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being mine. (laughs) Hey, Kai, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I work in the physical wellness industry. Uh, I primarily focus on musculoskeletal issues. That's why I say physical. So in manual therapy, massage therapy, personal training, strength coaching, and various other credentials. I've worked for the last 20-plus years now, and I've been very fortunate to help a number of people out with sometimes extreme cases coming off of referrals from doctors where a specialist is required to either work with something very extreme, uh, that's me, or, you know, I get the fortune of working with professional or Olympic-level athletes and taking them to the next step, so that's very fun as well. Wow, I didn't realize you had been working at it for so long. Yeah. It's been been quite a career. Yeah, and yet you're so young. But I've got to say, you are hands down the best body worker I've ever had. Like you're a total body technician, you know. I've had great fortune, you know, as I've um, I've been aligned in my education with the leading schools of thought very often and and uh and had quite uh, a robust background in range between the different disciplines so you know one of the biggest things uh, i've been enjoying with with being able to practice in that is is seeing things that in one field you know might be a given and a norm but in another field might be completely misunderstood and it's very common in medical technology uh, part of the medical education training for things to be separated. So, you know, we got foot doctors, we've got hip doctors, we've got heart doctors. But, yeah. you know, if somebody were, as a personal trainer, to share the leading, you know, very reputable, very well-proven science around the mortality rate for somebody who's exercising regularly. I mean, it's like five times the mortality rate if you're not breaking a sweat, if you're not lifting weights. The difference yeah. is huge. And so somebody who's, you know, got good form in their legs, good hip movement, they might not need to see that hip doctor, that foot doctor, that heart doctor. They might need to just be active and be in preventative cares. But the problem is that oftentimes in a society that's not emphasized, so people don't get, you know, nurtured back into health along the way. Oftentimes it gets worse, it gets worse, and then they get to a point where, you know, there might be less options available. And I think that if we were to really evolve in America, in our healthcare, mm-hmm. that would be one of the paramount. Because the doctors of the future, they're not going to be prescribing as much medications as much as they would be prescribing. You should get in the gym. You should be exercising. You should be active. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody because, you know, a lot of the times medications can save somebody's life. But the amount of unnecessary surgeries, the amount of unnecessary medications mm-hmm. – uh, it's it's very, very heinous when you think yeah. about how much we need for health. It's not as much, you know, but to go through all this extra stuff uh, can be very challenging for people mm-hmm. when they're in, either in their acute health crisis or just trying to be healthy. What does that look like for you, like to nurture somebody back into health? 
It's a great question. I use the word nurture because uh, one of the things that's really common in Western medicine is just to be uh, very matter-of-fact about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite examples of uh, a difference in the exact same treatment of a condition is cancer. So in Eastern medicine uh, in China, they'll actually give their patients things called adaptogens. So what an adaptogen is, is it's a stress modulating um, uh, ally in your body. So it's something external that you either take like an herb or like a, a supplement of that herb or a tea. And then that actually helps your body deal with stress. And it doesn't have to be specific stresses. It could be everything from hormonal stress, temperature stress, et cetera, et cetera. And so in the East for cancer, what they'll actually do, Chinese doctors think it's medically unethical to give chemo radiation without also giving things like those adaptogenic herbs, recommendations for health. You know, it's much more of a fostering health and attacking the disease when necessary versus in the West, it's a lot of attacking the disease, really focusing on what's not healthy, you know, how do we deal with that? And you can spend a lot more energy there than putting in just a little bit of energy on how to stay healthy. And so what I mean by that, when we talk about nurturing somebody back into health, oftentimes issues can become a, you know, one-time thing that then progresses into a chronic problem. Uh, you know, I just worked with somebody recently who had an elbow issue. Uh, they've had a shoulder problem before that. Then it became a wrist issue. And they're saying, you know, what's wrong with this whole side? And, of course, you know, it's not like there's something wrong with the whole side. They had a postural issue from the shoulder, deferred mm-hmm. down. Mechanical issues got worse over time. We got to work with them where everything's balanced now. But if we hadn't, you know, if we hadn't been working for those eight months or so, that person would end up with potentially, you know, posturally trained scoliosis, joint discrepancies, arthritis, differences in the tension between side-to-side and muscular balances, potentially asymmetries into the rib cage and organ problems, and exacerbated. And all of that is just completely unnecessary when encouraging and nurturing somebody to embrace their health. They may need other particular hobbies, outlets, or activities in order to keep moving forward. Right. So it kind of depends. It's always different for some folks. So it's like I'm hearing from you it's like more of a a broad scope. It's uh, But I like the way that you kind of differentiated between the Eastern and Western medicine. Eastern sounds like so much more flow, you know, versus the Western it's like attack, you know, kind of warrior method. Um and I know that you come from it, uh, you come to, you have such a wealth of knowledge. I'm always so delighted when I talk with you. I'm always learning something new from you. Um, and I know you come at it as an athlete. You know, you've been an athlete your entire life. And um, I kind of wanted to hear about, you know, how you kind of evolved into this this healer person from uh, from being an athlete. Oh, totally. So just a little bit for the for the listeners. I actually used to compete in Muay Thai kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really into it. Uh, I would train after high school hours every day. I trained before I went to high school. Uh, I was on a competition team. And uh, I was, you know, at the time, 
representing San Diego's 155-pound division, her undisputed fight team. And I was having a blast. Frank mm-hmm. Salgado was my instructor. He was teaching me a lot of the Muay Thai moves. I was, you know, getting really well-placed head kicks, knocking mouthpieces out, <laughs> knocking teeth, um, putting people on their backs. That sounds fights. hardcore, yeah. And, you know, there's only so much of that, you know, that you can do and be like, yeah, I'm the greatest, I'm the strongest, you know, but you're still just hurting people. Mm-hmm. So I had that awareness. And uh, a lot of my buddies, as they're training, you know, you get banged up a little bit. You learn how to help each other out. Sometimes you're stretching your buddy. You're working with people, this, this, that. Um, so I actually went into manual therapy at about that time to be able to help people out. I was going to a physical therapist from some stuff uh, that had led from a competition I was in, in which I was in like a three-hour really grueling Muay Thai tournament. So wow. I was working with a physical therapist after that. And uh, it just happened to be a crazy timing on my way to my last day of physical therapy before I was going to do another match. Uh, I got rear-ended. I got hit so hard. You know, I ended up finding out the guy was on opiates. He was just hitting the accelerator, never even saw me. So he shattered all my windshield. My whole car got from a four-door into a two-door. The seats were broken. My seat had broken. I was bleeding out my forehead because I hit the steering wheel. The seatbelt caught me, but the airbag didn't deploy. And I was messed up for about six months. You know, I went from being the strongest guy in the gym where people didn't want to fight with me in my weight class to basically being you know, hey, dad, can you help me clean clothes and feed myself? And it's, wow. it's the most humbling thing you can really go to because when you're, when you're in that rhythm, one begins to associate oneself with those activities. You know, you <laughs> think, oh, I'm this greatness. I'm this awesome. I put in this hard work. I'm doing these things. I'm winning these matches. You're this strong and, uh, athlete. You're top of the heap. Yeah. Exactly. And how, how old were you? How old were you at that time when you got the accident? It was three days after my 18th birthday. Wow. Mm-hmm. Life-changing. Life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just don't wake up the same after an impact like that. So mm-hmm. reintegrating took me a long time. I was bummed out, really down on myself, thinking, oh, gosh, what if I had just, you know, maybe I could have left a different time, taken a different lane. And all of those are what-ifs just to try to avoid the now. And when I really arrived in the now, it took me a long time to just accept what had happened. Uh, I realized that um, a lot of the doctors I was working with were not helping me get better. They might have been able to identify, you know, this is where you're having problems. This is the diagnosis. This is some syndromes. This is some terms. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia by a a rheumatologist. (laughs) And so what they had effectively said was, you know, this is this is real bad on paper, but, you know, you might get better. And then I'd take them a bunch of tests and programs and stuff, and beyond, like, the physical damage, mm-hmm. um, there was just a general feeling that most of the people and professionals I was working with didn't really care enough to get me through to the other side. Oh, they were there. They really see you. You know? Yeah, and it was just about doing their job. They were there. And I worked with yeah. a lot of people. I mean, I worked with some very good physical therapists. But because of the nature of the medical referral system into having very specific subsets of things, 
Um, I just did not, for me, find results that got me better. I didn't get to a point where I was able to experience the power that I knew was possible in my athleticism previously until I started researching, working into the field, developing my career. That's when I got into the manual therapy much more significantly. (laughs) Um, I had been practicing in it, but then I began, you know, expanding, taking classes. I went into trauma release facilitation. Uh, I went into... Um, joint therapy, postural work, ligament and tendon rehab cleanups, tons of different stuff. And all of it really brought me back to being in my power where I was able to have my joy again and express myself after, you know, what had been almost a year and a half of incredible quality of life differences. First six months, mostly bedridden, just figuring out how to move again. Next six months, back on my feet, but not feeling good, feeling mostly terrible all the time. And then progressively getting to a point where I was able to do things like surfing, go back to boxing classes, and just keep moving through it. So the same opportunity that I found in my body is what I began to offer my clients and my patients as well when working together. And that's where I really come from, which is yeah. that it's a hard process to change. Yeah. And you know that. Great. I do. I know change can be difficult. Were you, were you afraid you wouldn't be an athlete again? It wasn't so much of a fear as much as it was a terror. I mean, it just sits in your guts like the entire rest of your life is different from one moment. Mm-hmm. And... It was hard. It's really hard to love yourself through that. Yeah. But these are the moments that define us. One mm-hmm. of my favorite quotes I've ever heard was um, was uh, Mike Tyson was asked why or how he was able to hang up us. And, you know, it's a very, very decorated career. And to let go of that can be challenging. Mm-hmm. But without a second thought, without hesitation, he said, time will make you that person. And yeah. it takes the time. But it does become a making, a becoming, and a being. And in the same way that oneself can associate, oh, I'm, you know, a professional kickboxer, I'm winning, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm doing great, all the way to, you know, oh, I'm rehabbing. I'm not doing great, or I am doing great, depending on perspective. It's all that. It's all really perspective. (laughs) And at the end of the day, it's finding a way to love oneself through that perspective. Because you've got to be there with you through the journey. The same way I, I really emphasize being there for somebody else through the rehab process when I yeah. work with my athletes or the patients. Let me, awesome. let me interrupt you for a second. So what uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to say was that, um, yeah, that was you at the time. You were that super incredible athlete. And then that was you on the other side of that, um, of that recovery, um, as the person helping people who went through what you did. You know, they're all you, but at different time points. So the unfolding of who you are now. Yeah, it's just a really interesting process. Um, a whole journey, an entire journey. So now you get to help people who have been through uh, similar things that you've been through. You know how much it takes. You know what it takes to get from one place to another. That's a big portion of the, there's a concept, you know, you can't 
easily take somebody somewhere you haven't been. <laughs> you know, if you've been there, you can you can really guide. And to have had, you know, near paralysis, to have overcome fibromyalgia, to have been bedridden uh, and un- really unable to stand, to now being able to, you know, squat 260 pounds in a squat full depth, there's, there's a definite awareness to that process of just being with yourself in the becoming. And I emphasize it doesn't really matter because we're all our own special snowflake. We're all our own perfect flower as we're growing. What just matters is that we offer ourselves that nourishment as we grow. So in the instance of rehabbing, just taking care of one's mind, staying focused, being positive on what we're going to do afterwards. But in some instances, you know, I work with people who they may never recover from something. If it's a spinal cord injury or if it's a lifelong injury or if it's a terminal illness. And it's even more important to carry the exact same uh, integrity of heart in those because it's not about getting somewhere which is a really big emphasis. It's about being there for the person. And then we grow from there, wherever that becomes. Yeah, words of wisdom. Yeah, And that experience is so shaped who you are. You're rarely going to find anybody more proactive or enthusiastic about somebody's progress, but it's paralleled with the patience of not needing to go somewhere. You know, my job isn't better or worse if somebody gets that progress or not, I'm doing my best. But of course I love it when somebody gets through something. It's mm-hmm. just not generally the most healthy to have that attachment. In the same way that you wouldn't be like, oh, my daughter's just fallen again. She hasn't learned her first step. She's going to figure it out eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the process of loving oneself, is just figuring out how to go through the ups and downs. So loving oneself through the whole hard. journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. But you know that more than anybody else as a transformation agent. Yeah. Uh, I, the process of bringing somebody through to change is, uh, is a science in itself that, uh, I'm sure you know more about it, uh, than, than most. Yeah. And it seems to, um, you know, it's different with every single person. You know, it depends on, first of all, if the person really wants to change, if they're really ready. If not, they'll be like, nah, they don't want anything to do with me. But, <laughs> um, you know, it depends on where they are in the process, you know. Sometimes people are just, like, starting to be aware that they're in this level of suffering that they don't want to be in anymore and they want something different. And that suffering might be, you know, that's a necessary process sometimes, right? Not all the time, depending on the situation. But it's like the, uh, you know, the butterfly and the whole cocoon thing. There's got to be that um, struggle before coming out of it, you know. And so it's, it's yeah, the process is different for everyone. And it can be different um, at different times, different uh, parts of your life, you know. It is an interesting journey, though, being a transformation agent. What are some consistent themes that you see in the people who are ready to transform but don't know how? 
Oh, yeah. folk are ready, but they just don't know that door. They're, they've got all their stuff packed. They're ready to walk through that door, but they don't know where to open it. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, and a lot of times I see, like, frustration in people. It's like they want something different, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get out of what they've been creating and create something new, you know? So it's like yeah. taking a step back and and uh, starting with, first of all, the intention to shift. And a lot of times people are stuck in what they've already created, the part in their life that they're already going through, and they're kind of holding on to that because they don't know better. This is what's in front of me right now. But I find that if a person has an idea of what they want to experience, like an intention of what's, you know, what's the next thing that you want to do in your life? What do you want to experience? And then, um, you know, allow that to pull you forward, you know, instead of being, you know, stuck in the same old story, right? I mean, there's a whole process. Good point, too. Like being pulled into the transformation rather than pushing yourself into it. And that's such a more I said the nurturing, because it's it's hard to push somebody, but it's really easy to be compelled. You want to talk more about that that pulled feeling? Yes. So what I the process that I take people through is first I get them to um, go inside, you know, uh, really go into the internal self, the part of you that's always been like connected. And so then have an intention from there and then simply allow what has been, but then go into what it is that's really pulling you forward. What is it that, what is that change that you're wanting to see? What's, what do you want to experience? And to be in that energy so much that it pulls you forward instead of constantly looking behind you. And it's It's a lot of a nervous system shift because you're not thinking about what you need, what you have to, what you should. It's a lot of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm so inspired for once I have this outcome. If I could just get myself here, then it's – and it's a compelling versus kind of the, like, uh, pushing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The pushing is so hard. It's like, you know, like um, Sisyphus pushing the, the rock up the hill, you know. So much harder than being on the other side of the hill and letting it pull you forward. Hey, that's why most cars are front-wheel drive, so that they can pull the vehicle. That's, there you that's go. That's actually exactly <laughs> why that's designed that way, because if they're yeah. rear-wheel, it's, it's pushing it. Yeah, but we're so conditioned to look at what has already been and just assume that that's going to keep happening, you know? Um, you know, say you've had a streak of bad luck, say you've had a streak of things happening that you really don't want to happen. And it's kind of harder than to like look forward and say, I really want that. But, you know, maybe you're still looking behind you like what didn't work, you know? And I think that's one of the, you know, real big totems of your, your capacity when you're thinking about, you know, transformation is just how do you help inspire somebody to mm-hmm. have those incentives where they naturally shift on their own into that becoming. Right. And maybe uh, it starts with the process of instead of looking at what didn't work out, think of all the times that things did work out in your life. You know? 
So a lot of what it sounds like you're doing, too, is just really hacking the human condition mm-hmm. and altering how the brain is able to perceive things to change the paradigm. Absolutely. Would you talk a little bit more about how you guide people through that? Because you're one of the best I've ever seen. And I've done a lot of personal development seminars, workshops, and stuff with a bunch of really uh, popular or famous leaders. But you have a capacity to see people and really where they're at deeper mm-hmm. Than just the the clothes, the uh, demographic, or the context, or even their words. You actually really take it to see where that person's at in their, you know, in their kind of sense of themselves and speak to them. How do you do that? And how do you encourage yourself when you're tempted to work with them from a push energy and instead pull them? Right. <laughs> That's a really good question. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned that it does have to do with working with a person where they're at in the moment. You know, like I said, there's so many different parts of being on the journey. It's like I can, I've worked with enough people to know when they're ready to shift or maybe they're still back in the suffering and they need to be heard. They need to tell, they need to be able to tell their story so that they can move on, you know. So it's a matter of having a lot of experience with having people, um, transform and working with them and also you know I've had so much experience working with people um, I think I told you when I was uh, in second grade I started tutoring and uh, I was they put me in the corner with remedial students you know and so what I would do is get them to use all of their senses so get them to not just think, but to speak it out loud, whatever words we were reading, to touch the page, to sometimes even move. You know, back then, they didn't really understand um, people who were physical and needed to move in order to uh, to think, in order to process information. So just using all of the senses and figuring out what worked for the individual, mirroring it back over and over until they kind of unlocked their own genius. And really, that's it's a lot of what I still do in workshops and retreats because um, everybody's different. Everybody processes information differently. Everybody filters through their own consciousness and sees the world um, in the way that they see it, you know. So I just honor everybody's path and where they are. And I know that they all have their own intelligence and their own genius, and I just help them see it and unlock it. Did that answer your question? Oh, brilliantly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the uh, um, really unique characteristics to how you support people, too, is just to be there and consider it more of an unlocking for them. Because there's so much of a teaching somebody to fish, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like the opposite. It's teaching somebody to not be the fish that bites onto the hook of anger or turmoil or suffering and then being removed out of the sea of tranquility. It's like teaching somebody how to naturally be in their instincts and in their fullness, which is something I really respect about you consistently because in the integrating, you really want to integrate somebody's every part of them, you know, their personality with their potential, with their brain, with, you know, whatever may have been otherwise you know, cast off as a part of them, you always encourage that integration back into being in, in one's fullness. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. 
Thank you. Yeah, I want to honor everybody's expression because I feel like the universe put each and every one of us here um, to be exactly who we are. We're like an integral piece of the puzzle, you know. And so I just want to bring people back to themselves and reduce suffering, you know, make the world a better place that way. That's how I started Happy People, Happy Planet. It's that I want to see – I know that people, when they're happy, they tend to um, – want others to be happy, they tend to want to give, they tend to want to give to their communities and make the world a better place. And so, um, you know, it's kind of selfish of me. I wanted to see a happy world, so therefore I want people to be happy. That's how that's also a great point, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a big point, too, on how the brain works. So when then somebody's happy or positive, the brain's branching more and expanding outwards. Mm-hmm. Versus when you're in that negative state, oftentimes it's an eliminating or cutting off neurologically of how to narrow down into a specific versus mm-hmm. like you're talking about expanding, getting bigger and larger. Yeah, it's a the resistance pushing away. A lot of times we push away because we think, you know, we're going to get hurt, you know, we're getting what we don't want. But it's like more of that flow allows the good stuff in too, you know. So for the people who aren't as familiar with your work, because one of the things you've always taught me about is never really to shut down on the negative stuff also. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how you encourage or teach the people you work with to integrate and really feel some of those negative things without shutting down from it? Because one of the things I've I've witnessed is uh, when folk or you're sharing some of the transformations that people have gone through, something so intense, something so painful that when they're looking at that, they can't look at the rest of who they are anymore. Can you talk about how you help people integrate? Because this is something you've done consistently and very easily, at least it looks like. Yeah. Well, it wasn't always easy because <laughs> I used to be this intellectual. But uh, when I started living more in the heart and the body, because that's where I, I found my joy. You know, that's where I found joy was. It wasn't... Um, don't get me wrong, I totally respect the intellect, but joy is, you know, it's not in the, in the mind, it's in the heart, and it's in the body. So um, what I've found is very important is not to run away from the emotions, because people run away from their emotions because they think it's going to hurt too much, it's going to be too hard. But what you're actually doing when you resist is that you don't, allow it to move through, and therefore it kind of keeps it stuck, you know, and you don't even realize it. You may be unconsciously running all these things that you don't realize are creating the life that you don't want, you know. So it's very important to allow the emotions, you know, allow them to move through, you know, so that they don't get stuck, and then they don't own you. But And I think that's one of the biggest points you've made, too, which is that when you start to run away from everything else, you're already running, so it's not conscious what you're missing out on. Exactly. This is where no, a lot of people can can mm-hmm. be behaving their subconscious, like lower level becomings, and not what they consciously want to create. Like more of their their uh, fears that they don't talk about that kind of come up very subtly uh, when people are in that consciousness of avoiding what may be painful or hurting. Avoiding. I work with some folks who, um, and you know, it's, it's different 
in the personal training or the wellness because I'll only hear certain pieces. But in the body, you can see huge differences when somebody's sharing, oh, you know, things are going great, this, this, that. And you can see the cellular response, meaning like they're breathing, they're upright, everything's there versus so my ex, my ex-wife filed for something again, and then you can see just the pain, the curling over. The holding on, holding on, yeah. And the mm-hmm. body holding is a big component, just like the mental holding. So that fixation on something and then perpetuating that pattern subconsciously without mm-hmm. ever actually being able to not just be aware of it, but to actually change it. Mm-hmm. How would you say that you help people notice those and actually work with identifying and integrating some of those holdings in the body or the mind? Patterns. Looking at patterns. Looking at patterns in the body. Looking at patterns in thought. But a lot of times people don't realize they're having patterns of thought because it's become such a part of them. You know? So it's like a, a stepping back and kind of intuitively becoming aware i become aware of you know somebody else having these thought patterns maybe and i'll maybe gently point them out when it's time when they're ready or if somebody asks me um and a lot of times people will try and change things without changing their consciousness and that's where um they don't get anywhere you know it's so funny you mention that i think i get you now better as a friend because for those of you who haven't hung out with Ellie, we hanging out with Ellie is like one of the most presenting moments because she's always there. She's very, you know, uh, clear thinking. She's very grounded. And it's one of the more, uh, I think, jovial aspects about you because you're from that presence. You're able to work with spontaneity. You're able to very free flow in the moment with folk. And uh, it's one of the more, you know, superpowers you've got. <laughs> Thanks. That put a smile on my face. Thank you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So when people have that uh, kind of stuck in their holdings, they're in their head, they're thinking, and they're mm-hmm. talking to you, but they're not necessarily talking to you because they're actually talking out something they're thinking about inside their head, but they're not really thinking it because they're repeating the same thing, and then they take a lot, and they may say it again and three times, now it's four times. How do you help bring people out of that? Because you're one of the best I've ever seen. And often, folks, I mean, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Right? I totally did uh, calls yeah. with certain people earlier, mm-hmm. and I was witnessing these patterns of being not necessarily present. How yeah. do you deal with that? Well, I, you know, I used to be married to a mathematician, and so when he would come home from work with a furrowed brow, you know, and been doing all that math stuff, I'd tickle him so that he would be in his body and we could relate to each other. But that wasn't, uh, after we got divorced, that was no longer appropriate. So <laughs> so I found that laughing, you know, helps people come back into their bodies, come back in the present moment. And laughter is one of those things where, you know, just throw something in there and, you know, catch somebody off guard and, and make them laugh or make them think of something that, um, brings a smile to their face, you know. Um, and going into the heart, uh, which is a whole other subject for another time, but going into the heart stops, for me, stops all that brain activity. It's like then it makes me very present, makes me very aware of the now moment, 
being joyful, being in the body, you know? And that's where it's at. That's where all the suffering stops, you know? Dude, that's where it's at, man. Like, that's where it's at, like, yeah. Like the Beck song, where it's at, dude. <laughs> no, but yeah. in all seriousness, that is a big component because um, a lot of mental creations are where we intellectualize or, or, Absolutely. or you know, imagine potential suffering. Mm-hmm. And often... You know, people can become uh, imprisoned by that own imagination where things might not have even happened, but they're succumbing to the physical reaction of even that thought. You know, oh, this bad thing could happen later in the day. (laughs) And then they're physically responding to it. And it becomes, like you said, a conditioning where it's a running away but never able to get away because the body's holding it and the mind's trying to go everywhere else. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of integrating all of those things together, the um, the mind, the body, the heart, you know, the spirit, bringing it all together into that, into the now moment where everything's fine. Right now in this moment, unless you're being chased by a lion or something. But right now, usually in the moment, everything's fine, you know. It's like getting it all lined up. And that can be pretty effortless if you know how to do it, you know? So is that the tie-in to our next, when we talk about going into the heart? Yeah, I think so. I think that should be. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who are listening, this is your first time on the podcast. My name is Casey Brown. This is Elisheva Herrera, the (laughs) goddess of transformation herself. And we'll be discussing more next week on how to go into the heart with Elisheva's guidances. Yeah. I hope you're there looking forward and stay tuned. But in the yeah. meantime, I think we've got a couple more minutes. Did you want to touch base on anything else, Ellie? No, I think we, uh, I think we did, uh, I think we talked about a lot of things here. And, um, I like that, um, you know, I think we came full circle. Like you said earlier that, um, you know, you went through all those hardships and now you can help other people go through that. I went through all that suffering of the mind too and now you know i'm helping people get over their suffering and come into a happier place so there we are you know when when life gives you lemons you teach people how to make lemonade (laughs) all right well thank you so much casey mr Mr. kai brown appreciate you and um tell people how they can get a hold of you How, how can folks get a hold of you my website is thecaseybrown.com. Easiest way to find me, going there, looking through testimonials. You may find yourself seeing a service you might be inclined towards for your own physical health. Feel free to reach out to me either through the scheduler or contact me. Awesome. And, and you are such an awesome dude. For those of you yeah. who haven't worked with Ellie, it's a, it's a life-changing experience. that will change how you interact within your own nervous system to adversity, to joy, to love. It's one of the the most effective methods I've ever witnessed on engaging with oneself to the fullest. How do people find you and work with you? Happypeoplehappyplanet.com Yeah, so as we make it a happier people, happier planet, I hope to hear everybody, or hope to have everybody uh, listen to us on the next podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you.
See you next time. Thanks, y'all. See you next week when we talk about and dive into living from the heart. Living from the heart. Woohoo! Woo-woo.